This is restless. Hey everybody, welcome back to this uh, wonderful, uh, beautiful, restless summer that should never end. The sun is shining and it makes us happy and full of all kinds of emotions today. Matt, uh, you are with me. What kinds of emotions does this restless summer conjure up in your soul? Just just pure joy, un, un, untethered, un, unhindered joy. Um, it's, it's very interesting, you know, uh, Pastor Michael, you are, you've talked about how our podcast, especially my abilities as a podcaster, have, have received praise uh, from, from those close to you. Well, I, I, I'd like, I'd like to uh, give you my daughter's, my four-year-old daughter's review of our podcast. She, sometimes if I set the mic out, she wants to come and kind of talk into it. And, and she looked at me the other day and said, dad, someday I want to be able to record things like you do that are boring. So that was, <laughs> that was, that was my, my daughter's uh, view of our podcast, but that's but today, fantastic. I, I best review it, yet. Best review yet. My daughter endeavors to be boring like us. She said, maybe, maybe it's the Bible story. So <laughs> I, we're, we're, we're parenting here and restless is, is continuing on. And we are doing this um, beautiful summer day. We are not doing an, an interview though. We've been loving doing those. We are doing a, a maybe more of a, a deep dive, a topical dive today on on emotions. And the reason we're doing so is because, you know, we've loved hearing from the listeners, we've gotten um, pushback, we've gotten questions. And actually, a lot of it has dealt with the emotional life and Christians. What, what is the role for emotions and Christians want? Are, are, are reform people really? Do they really have a healthy view? You know, because they just seem like stoics? Is that is that what we think we're talking about? Right? Is when uh, Pastor Michael critiques Matt Chandler's preaching as as maybe overly emotional or or pointed only at the emotions is is that helpful? And so today, Pastor Michael and I are actually not going to do what we normally do with subjects like this. We're actually not going to compare it that much to the YRR, the 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 New Calvinist, because we want to set forth as clearly as we can positively what we mean by it by what we're, what we might be rejecting. And, and, and actually more importantly, what we'll spend most of our time on what kind of positive teaching we believe the scriptures have, um, and the church has on emotions. And pastor Michael, I've heard you are, you are well, you're ready for this subject, having prepared sermons in the Psalms, you're, you're feeling high and low with David. That's right. Yeah, we've actually, we have been uh, preaching a series through various Psalms. We're not doing the whole book of Psalms because we would be there for a long time. And we thought it may be best just to uh, jump around a little bit. Uh, but at our church, we've been doing, uh, preaching through the Psalms. So I feel very uh, much connected in a sense to uh, the emotional life of the scriptures, if that's an okay mm. way to put it, uh, where I, I do feel as though we have, uh, I feel uh, what I think many of the Psalms are trying to drive us toward. So it'll be good to jump into this topic. So let's start with this. So the one thing that when you have heard or, or maybe thought, you know, had a question or, or pushback, what Michael and I 
specifically are probably rejecting might be something I'm calling Christian emotionalism. So from the Merriam-Webster dictionary, emotionalism is the tendency to regard things emotionally, or it's an undue indulgence or display of emotion. So if I take that and I say, so what is Christian emotionalism? Christian emotionalism is the tendency to regard Christianity and aspects of the faith primarily emotionally, or there might be the undue influence or focus of emotion on the Christian life. Pastor Michael, um, do, do you join with me in saying that that is actually a, a problem in, in American Christianity and evangelicalism today? Yeah, I think generally uh, the emotional health of our culture is really problematic. And right. mm. so, so uh, you, I mean, just all you have to do is go start looking at, you know, the, the rate of, you know, emotional issues, uh, you know, anxiety disorders, depression, you know, things like this, you look at the, the increase over the last, you know, 40 years of psychoanalysis and psychiatry and, you know, counseling and even, you know, biblical counselors even, or things like this where you have just a, a massive uh, growth in this industry now, trying to deal with people's emotions. And it's obvious, I mean, it, it makes sense that you would have that uh, with a breakdown, continued breakdown in, in cultural institutions, uh, most primarily the family, the breakdown in marriages uh, with the majority of, of kids, or at least a close to majority of kids growing up in, at the very least divorced homes, often uh, you know, homes uh, of just a single parent. Uh, when, when this starts to happen, it, it makes sense that you would start to have some more emotional issues. Uh, but yeah, so that, you know, this critique has come up. Uh, and so we really wanted to deal with it. And I think that uh, probably often when we, when you and I talk about, you know, the emotions or the problem of, you know, something being too emotional, this is what we're, we are meaning it's, it's reading everything or, or perceiving things through the lens of emotion, primarily, uh, not necessarily the the idea of biblical affections. And so uh, I know we'll get more into that as we go. So let me give some examples of this in case my definition was too abstract. And so Pastor Michael, I just wrote a bunch of these that I've honestly had to work through myself. And you can, you're welcome to comment on these um, or, or ask me questions as I kind of just go through a list of these. And then, then we'll use a few, I'll say more concrete examples from our current times or church history. So I would say the first one that comes to mind for me is that we associate the work of the Holy Spirit primarily with a certain kind of feeling you get in certain circumstances. And I think that is one that I've, that has been, if, if I was to pick one that for me, that is maybe the hardest to shake, it would be that idea, right? And I think that comes from even the idea of equating our spiritual life with our emotional life. And, you know, another way you could say this is, again, a lot of, we oftentimes equate godliness with positive emotions and God in this system, this is, this almost comes from the therapeutic moralistic deism, yeah. Christianity and the gospel is therapeutic. It's supposed to make me feel better. And so then how do we do discipleship? We attempt to inflame the right kinds of emotions in our hearers. 
you know, other ways we might hear this, that people you we use our emotions as a guide as of what to think or what to believe, right? We, we determine the um, quality of our worship by what kind of feeling we leave that the worship service with or the Bible study with. And I think there's, you know, this is unrelated is, and this one's maybe more cultural than I just think we also, we feel is, I just feel how I feel. There's, it, it becomes the almost highest court of appeals, right? There's one yeah. of the reasons we want to say, I feel this instead of, I think this is thoughts can be challenged on a critical level, but if it's just a feeling, well, sorry, I feel that way. Right. You can't challenge it. It's something that is just core to my personality and to who I am. It, it is part of my soul, right? So just <laughs> like you're saying, the spiritual life is the emotional life. My soul is what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. I always think of this in terms of, you know, the typically, you know, if you have a worship night uh, that you really want, you know, the spirit to move for some reason, it always has to happen pretty late. It's usually with young people. The lights are usually down low. You're using music that kind of goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And like you're, you're enacting various things that like are just known generally to uh, cause kind of some kind of emotional uh, disturbance. Although I use disturbance, that sounds like a negative. It's not, I don't mean it necessarily just a negative, but it, like it, it has an emotional effect on you. Just like, I mean, going without sleep or, you know, staying up too late, getting up too early, like that has an effect on your emotional state, just like eating certain things is going to have an effect on your emotional state. Uh, it does seem to be that, you know, there, there is a certain uh, brand of the Christian life that would want, you know, would, would see the, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, taking place really only when you uh, see those sorts of things happening. And I've always thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if, you know, you went to, I've, and I've, I mean, I've been a part of this, I've been a part of, you know, youth camps and, and uh, all kinds of situ, you know, worship nights and, and what have you, where like, this is the case, you know, you mm -hmm. turn the lights down, like you want to set the mood in a sense. And I've thought, you know, what, what would happen if we decided, all right, turn on all the lights, you know, everybody sit down, you know, everybody kind of, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of get back into your mind. And now let's, you know, uh, talk about what the Bible teaches. And would you have the same effect sometimes that you have, uh, you know, on, you know, the last night of youth camp, when you really got to build it up, and you really got to, like, you got to get those kids to make a decision for the Lord. Uh, it happens that you can only do that evidently when the lights are down low, and when you're really, you know, uh, pushing hard in that way. Um, and often, you know, it's not, you know, when the parents are there, it's, it's just these kids. And so I actually, I, I tie a lot of these things. I think that uh, the list that you had is very, very right on. I think that's, that, that's pretty much uh, uh, central. I tie it in a lot of ways to the general juvenilization of, you know, kind of how we think about things. The idea of being controlled by your passions, by your emotions, uh, seems very like this is, this is something that happens when you're a child. Right. I have I have a two year old who a three year old, I should say, uh, who is like he can be pretty erratic with his emotions. And sometimes it's based on his sleep schedule. Sometimes it's based on what he eats. Sometimes it's just I mean, he's just pretty erratic uh, with his emotions. Um, but, you know, what we've tried to do is help him as he's growing to like take some control of that to learn how to, you know, uh, how to regulate his emotions. Uh, but I can't help it. But think sometimes culturally, we want to tell people, no, it's actually good to be controlled by those things. 
that's actually not a bad thing. And if we say it's a bad thing, then what we're saying is that uh, the Bible is against all emotion and all affection, period. And, and or, that's not what we're doing. Or even against the work of the spirit. If we associate- That's right, that's right. You're that, against the work of the spirit. That's right. Because that that's what it means when he works. You know, Pastor Michael, I'm going to give another historical example that I think this roots from. Charles Finney, he is the famous revivalist. So we have the first great awakening where it appears that there's a large conversions going on um, in the U S and then the second great awakening is in many ways, positive and negative things, but the attempt to kind of have to schedule revivals, to make these things happen, you know, on our schedule where we want, when we want. And Charles Finney was famous for this. And he wrote um, a book um, or gave a few lectures that have become a book called Lectures on Revival. And I just want to read a few quotes. And I think it will sound maybe a lot like uh, the last camp night where you turn the lights down low. So almost all the religion in the world has been produced by revivals. God has found it necessary to take advantage of the excitability that there is in mankind to produce powerful excitements among them before he can lead them to obey. Let me, let me read another one. There must be excitement sufficient to wake up the dormant moral powers of man and roll back the degradation of sin. And there is, final one, and there is almost nothing in religion beyond the ordinary powers of nature. It consists entirely of the right exercise of the powers of nature. A revival is as a natural result of the use of the appropriate means to crop up the appropriate response. Now, I, I, I order those in a specific order, right? Because the first one kind of sounds, you know, okay, God is going to use the mean, these kinds of things as means. And then yep. by the end, we have Finney basically coming out as a Pelagian. It's yep. just a natural thing. You just use, put in the right ingredients and you get the right response. I think another way you could put it in maybe more modern terms is emotional manipulation. Right. You yeah. can you can use somebody's emotions to change what they think and believe and how they will act. And, and that's think, how you should do it. And that's a good and, thing. That's the right yes, thing. Exactly. Without the word manipulation, I think Finney says, Yeah, that's what we should do. And that's how you spread Christianity. That is spiritual work. That is the work of the spirit, even, right? Explicitly yes. so. Yes. And it's a natural thing because yep. we can we can bottle it. So I think that this kind of revivalism is maybe one route. I think that there's another route. And so I'm going, I think that when we have this, we might call it experience-based worship. So I'm going to quote Robert Godfrey. So if you're mad about this quote at all, please call the retired emeritus scholar, Dr. Robert Godfrey, and not me. Um, he said, Pentecostals building on this revivalism from which they sprang claim that the open expression of strong emotions is more truly human and more truly biblical than most traditional forms of worship. And, and I think that is, that is the big kind of claim of this kind of emotionalism that against these forms, this emotional is, is what is, what is authentic and real and what God is working in. And I think what this leads us to, you might not be a Pentecostal, but I think in college, I, you know, I certainly, can identify with being in a church with this is that we then kind of make worship. It needs to become a, every worship service needs to be kind of crescendo at a, like right. a cathartic emotional crisis. Yeah. Now I don't doubt that at certain points in your life and what we're about to get to 
what Michael and I think about this directly. I don't, I don't doubt that there are moments in your life that are like that, but that it's probably not something that healthily is a weekly thing or a scheduled thing. Yes. Yeah, just what you expect. And how much of that just becomes a part of, you know, because it's expected um, it's just part of the liturgy, right? I mean, it's, there's, there are many different kinds of, you know, cultural liturgies that you could uh, point to that are, you know, specifically created to work you into kind of an emotional climax. Do you think about most, you know, I mean, most uh, forms of entertainment in various ways, whether it be a concert, whether it be uh, just a movie that you watch, they are made in a specific way to take you on this kind of emotional moving journey to make you feel a certain way. Um, and then, you know, kind of uh, bring it all together at the end. And it is a kind of emotional catharsis. Yeah. It, again, I, I think that if, again, if we go with Finney, right, it's no surprise that Hollywood or concert venues know how to take me on that same exact journey yeah. Finney figured out how to. So, the, there are, again, as it sounds like all we're doing is pushback. I just want to end before we kind of go to the positive teaching that I believe that there's lots of from the Psalms and all over scripture um, with, with kind of the warning of where this can end up. So I don't think a lot of our listeners are probably listeners or followers of Jory Micah. She's kind of from the more progressive Christianity. I will note her, her Twitter says she has an MA in Christian doctrine and Christian history. So I mean, who am I to, who am I to question this? But I think that these tweets she sent out in February really kind of show the, the danger of where this can all end up. And so I'm just going to read them is I've spent my whole life studying the Bible, which has made me a wiser person. And yet the Bible is not my final authority anymore because I'm wise enough to know that I could be interpreting it wrong. I now trust my own inner guidance system. Christian theology teaches us that when we decide to follow Christ, our hearts and minds and spirits are redeemed and rejuvenated. And then we teach Christians not to trust themselves. It doesn't make sense. We need to learn to flow with the spirit of God inside of us. Imagine thinking, I can't put the Bible as my final authority because I could misinterpret it. And then in the same line, in the same breath saying, but that's why I have to trust my internal emotions because obviously the the implication of that is i can't misread my emotions my right. emotions can't be wrong or you know interpreted incorrectly pastor michael she has an, an a master's in christian theology so i'm <laughs> gonna encourage you to to not question it but I, but this is the danger the danger is that maybe not as as poorly phrased but or or that you would ever want this to be the case but that a th your emotional experience becomes an authority above scripture. And the danger here that is, is the ultimate danger. Yeah. The, the danger is that uh, like that is so deceptive because emotions are so personal to us. They are so like connected to us, body and soul, you know, like heart and mind, like they're, they are, they are, uh, you know, very physical, but also more than that. And so there is a, like, it can be so unbelievably deceptive because you you can right now, I mean, as you're listening to this podcast right now, think about a time that you had a sudden emotional reaction to something that later on you realize was not the right way to act. Or even just, I mean, just think about how it happens with silly things, right? You, you woke up a little bit 
early and didn't get as much sleep. You didn't have a good breakfast. And then somebody says something and it just really rubs you the wrong way. And then later you kind of realize, okay, I was being kind of silly for, you know, thinking that was such a big deal or getting so angry. Just that's how easy it is to be led around by our passions. And so this is why, this is why I think it's a particular danger. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that brings us, as you talk about it being personal, why it's so personal to us and actually why our emotional life is important. And I will say it is because Christianity involves all of the human soul. Yeah. All of us, all of the human soul, all of us. And so there's this, there are these, there are lots of ways we can often be misshepherded or are in our, in our Christian lives don't grow all evenly. But historically, the church has described that the human soul contained an intellect, a volition, um, and we might say the emotions. And so the intellect, right, that is the, the, the part of us we associate with our thinking and our cognition. Our volition is what we associate with our will, what we do, and our emotions, obviously, are our, our, our emotions. And, and Christian theology said that is all of the human soul. And therefore, Christianity is something that comes and the life of Christ comes in contact with all of those things. And so we might say that there are certain Christians who are more um, intellect focused. There are some Christians who are more focused on what you do only. Um, and then there are Christians who are, are maybe primarily focused on emotions, right? We can think of, we can think of the, the Christians that having right doctrine is the totality of what it means to be a Christian or the, right. The hands, the, the, uh, what we do, you know, we call it the, these are the moralists, right? It's all about doing the right things or, or the, the, the emotional one, which is what we're talking about is it's all about having a warm experience with God. And what pastor Michael and I want to say is that emotions are part of Christianity and not a small part. And the reason it's necessary is because Christianity is ultimately about union with Christ in our totality, yeah. in our totality. Yeah. I think uh, this is in part why God has communicated to us in so many different ways in the scripture where you have different genres of scripture. And, you know, sometimes uh, I think the way that we handle uh, the different genres of scripture is just a little bit, I don't know, it's kind of, uh, it's problematic in that we kind of read it all the same one way or the other. If you're, if you're, uh, you know, generally going to read things more kind of emotionally, uh, you know, I don't know if you might say personally, right? So it all has to be about me and my inner life. My, my, it all has to be about my feelings, right? It all has to be my therapy is reading the scripture and getting this kind of emotional feel good. Uh, and then I can go away and, and, you know, start the day or I can feel good at the end of the day. Uh, if you read it all that way, it's problematic. It's also problematic if you read it all like, well, here is all this didactic teaching and it just teaches the head and that's it. Right, because the scripture God has actually spoken to us in multiple ways. Um, one of those ways is through song and poetry. Song and poetry are both things that are are specifically pointed uh, at not just the head, although the, the head's involved, right? Thinking's involved, uh, but it, it's particularly pointed in a long in a lot of ways 
at the emotional center of our being. Like it's, it's at the, like, it's how you are to feel. It's dealing with how you feel, even if it's not the right way to feel it's things like that. It, you know, so, so the scripture itself speaks to these things. Yeah. Emotions are a part of the Christian life and are part of the Christian reformation of our lives, of our own lives. And I think Richard Pratt actually has a way, the old uh, teacher from RTS, I think he has a helpful way to help people think about this, especially those uh, who teach, right? That we want to instruct people and shepherd them in their totality. And the Bible teaches us to think, things to think, things we might say, or things to believe things to feel, right? The Bible tells us things to feel and things to do. And that ignoring any one of those three is, is the path to imbalance, is the path to uh, st- like a stunted union with Christ. And I, I just think that those simple words are ways to think about that. And that we all know that different people have tendencies to address certain ways. And I, you know, perhaps Michael and I in this podcast have primarily been addressing thinking and and therefore that might be why we've gotten so many questions about emotion because it appears to not factor in to our our consideration so now i will say this as we get further into emotions right so we've said it's a necessary part of the christian life it is a part of being human i have realized that we need more distinctions and more categories than just this category of emotion. And theologians throughout the past have used different categories to um, define different ways to talk about emotions. And I think perhaps we today, we can use another reformed homeboy to come to the rescue, Jonathan Edwards. And I think Jonathan Edwards, um, he doesn't have as many distinctions as some of the, some like Thomas Aquinas, but he gives us two. And maybe that's all we, even starting with two, I think is a lot more helpful. So he gives us the categories of affections and passions. Pastor Michael, do you have a, do you have a simple way you would differentiate those two? You've used both terms so far in the podcast. Is there a simple way you could, you can differentiate those for us? Um, that's, that's a good question. I guess uh, when, when I use the terms, I think of affections as uh, maybe, maybe you could say a more disciplined way of, you know, emoting. Uh, it's, it's a more, it's, it's, uh, whereas passions is something that is, is completely out of your control. It's, it's kind of reactionary, purely reactionary, not to say that there's not an element of reaction uh, within affections, but it's, it's something much more that is, is uh, carefully uh, honed or trained uh, as opposed to simply, uh, you know, this person did this to me and my instant, you know, thing is to flare up with anger. Well, no, an affection would not be this, you know, sudden flare up of anger, but it might be, uh, like a, a, you know, uh, a response of anger to some kind of injustice or something like that. Um, but it's not necessarily the same, you know, uncontrollable urge of some kind is maybe how I'd put it. I think that's really helpful. And so Edward seems to associate passions with what he might call animal spirits. It's this 
it, it is this violent thing that mm. kind of comes on you. It's this thing that it's a force from outside of you that causes a reaction in you. This, in, in some ways, it's uncontrolled, right? You're, when you talk about your child being controlled by if they had a nap, if, you know, these are their, these are passions. Affections, he puts squarely in the, uh, it's an action, uh, an act of the will, right? It is something you have, you have purposed and it, and it is disciplined. Now that doesn't even mean it's positive or negative, right? You can point your will, you can point your, um, you can cultivate a desire and a feeling, right? This is what bitterness is, right? This is a cultivated feeling and that's not positive, but, but that is more in the category of affections yeah. and that he separates these two, right? And so this is why he writes religious affections, right? That there is a, an affectionate knowledge of God. It is, it is choosing to respond in faith to what God has done, right? And so when you hear the word of God, you cultivate eagerness to hear it because you believe you're really hearing from God. And so I think one way for me to, that has helped me consider this difference is, you know, you often hear people talk about love is a choice, right? And I think that that, I think what they're talking about is an affection, right? They're not talking about that yeah. love is when I do some, choose to do something for my wife. It is me choosing to, focus my desire and care for someone lust on the other hand would be a passion something that just causes a response in me that is um in that case negative right and so i, I think that these two things are are very important right affections are things that we we should cultivate and build as, as a choice as an act of a will it would take an active mind. But I think a lot of the times what we're doing when we're talking about this emotionalism, we're talking about, can I get their passions to cause a, can I cause a right. reaction in them? That's right. Can I drive their passions in a particular direction? Which is what you get from those statements of, by Finney, right? I mean, this is exactly yeah. what it is. It's if we do the right thing, it causes this reaction and this will drive them to do, you know, such and such. And so uh, this is this is how you uh, do it. This is how you get the spirit to work. And, and I think that it is one other way to note this is in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's a, it's a statement that often puzzles people, right? It says, God is without passions, mm -hmm. right? What the, the theologians are trying to teach is not that God is not loving, not that he is not, um, he does not show mercy, but that because there can be, there's can be nothing that controls God. There, there is nothing from outside of him that can happen to him that would elicit a response or change him, right? He doesn't move. He's not motive. He's not emotive in that way. Yeah. And so what that, that actually means is God's love is actually, and faithfulness is unchanging. It's even that's better, right. right? Yeah. And so right. it's going to be consistent. It's not going to yes. be sudden or happenstance. And, and the next minute that you do something, it's not going to cause a reaction where God all of a sudden is angry with you. And he's just going to, you know, remove you from the covenant or something like right. that. So, so people often take this idea of God being without passions as cold, but it's actually the opposite. It's, that's right. It's, the, it's that we can trust in God. And um, and I don't have it written down, but a theologian um, I found on this said, what our affections in us are perfections in God. Mm. So because God is unchanging, because God is um, transcendent and perfect, 
the things we cultivate in ourselves and choose as an act of will, those are things our perfections and find their fullness in God. And, and this is what the Christian emotional life is about, is cultivating in the spirit, through the word, united to Christ, the affections that reflect the perfections of God. So the, the problem, though, is our emotions are affected by sin, just like all of us, right? This is, this is the tea and tulip. This is total depravity, right? People often note that Calvin seemed very negative on emotions. Um, and so he's, he's been accused of stoicism. And I, and I don't know that that's totally accurate, but what he was suspicious of is that emotions are, because they're affected by sin, therefore we, we must be um, suspicious of them. Do you have any also, thoughts on that? I mean, yeah. anybody who reads Calvin, you can't read Calvin and think that he was some like unemotional, you know, like robot of a man. Man, this guy just go read the Institutes, go read his commentaries on scripture. And yeah, it might be a little bit more formal than we're used to uh, because we're used to something that's much more casual. We have a much more casual society, even in our kind of intellectual pursuits, things tend to be a bit more casual. And yet it seems that when you read Calvin, he just, there's emotion all over the place. There are, mm-hmm. I should say there's affection all over the place. There's this, this clear heart that just loves God and just enjoys, you know, the things of God and, and loves speaking about it. And it just, it flows out and, and deep, you know, pain at the same time. And, and, you know, uh, recognition of the suffering in life and how difficult that can be. And yet the, you know, the, the kind of uh, hope that can, uh, arise from knowing that God is in control of it all. And all of this just pours out of Calvin. I've every single person I've talked to who hasn't read Calvin, but thinks that Calvin was like that. And then, you know, you give them something from Calvin to read, or they just start reading it. Uh, every single person that I've, I've ever known who thought going in Calvin's pretty unemotional and then reads his stuff. They're like, wow, I can't believe how like emotional and contemporary in a sense, this seems like how personal uh, his, you know, systematic theology, which is the Institute's, like how personal this is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that actually means there's this one other thing going on in the word because our emotions are fallible. We actually find, and this is perhaps would be very not popular in our culture today, but I think it's something intuitively most Christians can grasp. God can command us how to feel. Yeah. Right. You can think of simple verses like mourn with those who mourn rejoice again i say rejoice and again these are not cheap statements these are um these are statements about affection we are not just simply entitled to feel how we feel and that but that this is when we have emotions that are out of line with the word it is really telling us something about ourselves and things that are going on they're not to be ignored or denied um they're to be brought to god they're to be brought to god they're to be to be grown in do you yeah, have any thoughts about this? Yeah. Well, again, I, you know, I, I think about it in terms of, I mean, I'm a father and I think of it often in how I'm trying to train up my children and um, it might not come across in the podcast, but I think I'm actually a pretty emotional guy. Um, I, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, uncommon for me to cry. I'm not like a, a crazy stoic man necessarily, but uh, I think that when we illustrate it with the kind of emotional life of a child, it just becomes more clear that of course you can command emotion. Of course, there are some ways of emoting that are not appropriate or okay. 
and that there are certain ways that you need to learn how to either, you know, hold back or, or control your emotion in a certain regard, or stop feeling this way about something, uh, you know, over time to grow in, in not reacting this way. Um, so for instance, you know, like I would teach my, my kids, you know, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry, you know, at, at the, the proper things. Crying is, is a perfectly fine uh, emotional response to certain things, but it's not a fine response when, you know, mom gives you one strawberry instead of the three that you wanted, you know, like that's not appropriate. That's not okay. Um, even if it is something that's so natural and it's so like, you can't, you don't feel like you can control it. It just happens to you. Well, it doesn't make it okay. And so I, as your father, I'm still going to command you and tell you, no, that's not okay. Here's how you should be acting. Here's how you should receive this, this kind of thing. And, and uh, I think that implicitly, we all know that, that there are certain, certain ways that we emote that aren't appropriate. Uh, but then the idea, because we tie so much our person and soul to emotions purely, that therefore, uh, this must be uh, something that I cannot change, because that would be to change my very self, you know, it'd be, it'd be to become a totally different person. Right. And so what this means, these two implications that our emotions are affected by sin and God can command them and therefore can, can sanctify us in them. One, that means the height of emotions, the height of an emotional experience is not inherently justifiable. This can be a good or bad thing, which is what you just talked about. People are very emotional at funerals, rightly. People are also very emotional in mobs, wrongly. Abusive fathers are emotional. Fathers walking down their daughters at the aisle are emotional. There's, there's this world that we often think, and I'm using extreme examples, right? But in, in Christian discipleship, we tend to think that if something is causing a big emotional reaction, it must be the right thing. And so this is the, the, the next thing though, is because God commands our emotions and they're part of us, they are necessary. And we might say better yet, affections are necessary. Yeah. And this might be the correction to the, to the Stoics that people are, are worried that you, maybe you and I tend towards, or you and that they think the, the reformed churches are full of is right. Edwards was very concerned about this kind of Christianity. He said, there's almost nothing worse than someone who knows everything about honey, except what it actually tastes like. And that was his idea of the kind of formalistic Christianity that knew everything and maybe did the right thing, but had no actual affections for God. Right. And, and you do, as Pastor Michael said, you find this in Calvin as well. Outward worship is nothing without true inward worship, right? That is done in spirit and in truth that is done in the Holy spirit, which means it is done from within. And I think both of these are, these are both very important and they, they seem like they might be holding in balance, right? Just because something is emotionally impacting doesn't make it good or bad necessarily. Yeah. And two, but affections are a necessary part of the Christian life and important. Yeah. And we do want to make that clear. We, we are not advocates of stoicism. I, you know, I, I do think that probably some people could use a little, like just a little drop of stoicism sometimes, right? Just sure. a, a little something. But I think one of the reasons that uh, when, when we talk about this, that it might come across as uh, being kind of anti-emotion, anti, you know, like feeling anything. It's all about the head. It's all stoic. 
we are in a culture, at least in the West, and I don't know, uh, you know, I mean, we have quite a few people listen to this. And so I don't know where you're, you are. And uh, my assumption is that in different places, uh, this is going to be different for you because different cultures uh, are, you know, either, uh, you know, more or less uh, emotional in various ways, whether it be in the affections or the passions. Uh, and so maybe this isn't the case for you. Um, in my experience, in America, at least, uh, we are a mess emotionally. Number one, because as we've talked about, we, we very much are guided by our passions, not, not as much our affections, but our passions very much guide us. Number two, I think, uh, because we are surrounded by emotional manipulation. And when I use that term, I don't mean somebody out of malice aforethought is doing something because they want to hurt us necessarily. That does happen. But I mean, when you watch a movie and it starts to uh, change how you feel about things, when it, when it works you up into an emotional state that you were not in before, um, that is a kind of emotional manipulation. Now you might say, well, it's not for like negative things. It's not for a bad reason, um, but it is something uh, that, that causes you uh, to feel a way that you did not before um, and is not real. Right. Uh, you think about like uh, the typical politician speech it's become almost just, you know, uh, something that you expect that when a, when a politician speaks, they're not going to say anything of substance, but they're going to say things in such a way to kind of get people worked up and riled up. They're trying to pull those passions out. And I would say that actually so much of uh, commercials, you know, right? Commercials don't commercials. tell you anything about a product. No, they show you a really happy family That's or, right. or a restless summer beer commercial. They just show you the That's best right. beach ever. And I want you to Boom. feel good about restless summer. Uh, yeah. But when we are surrounded by so much from, from our earliest days, surrounded by all kinds of, you know, what I would describe as this kind of like false virtual reality around us, trying to get us to feel something constantly about all these things that aren't real. Uh, all of a sudden, I think it actually, uh, it makes it much harder to, feel what we're actually supposed to, right? It, it mm -hmm. makes it harder for us to, it stunts our actual emotional health. And so when we hear somebody talk about, you know, maybe the problems of some emotion, or when we go to a church service and it's not riling me up, it's not giving me that emotional catharsis. Our initial reaction is to say, well, then it's not right. It's not good. The Holy Spirit's not working. That's a dead tradition. Yeah. But maybe the actual problem, and th those things might be true. Maybe those things are true. But also when we are in a, in a culture that is so uh, focused on the emotion and so emotionally manipulative in the way that we're speaking of, maybe the problem is that we actually have an immature emotional state. Maybe it's that, you know, yeah, it's true that there are certain things, certain times, you know, when I do family worship and we're going through a catechism, this is not going to make my children, you know, laugh really hard or cry really hard like some of these other emotional experiences they might have. But it doesn't mean that it's not uh, healthy, beneficial, and it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not working through it, that he's not using it to, to uh, build them up and, and strengthen them in the faith. Same is true, you know, when we just read through the scripture, it's not always the most emotional experience. But my belief is that that is actually going to be much more beneficial to them than when they're sitting and they're watching the 1930s Superman and they just, you know, they're just hooked emotionally uh, yeah. to this little cartoon. 
yeah. it's actually going to help them to grow far more. And so I just think that when, and again, sometimes, you know, reformed tradition is accused of stoicism. And I think that there are many times that's true. I think there are a lot of people that react against the emotional culture that we're in into saying, well, then fine, we're just going to cut off, you know, uh, all emotion and get rid of it. I also think that the problem that we face culturally and even in the church that, you know, within the church culture is not generally stoicism. That is the the vast majority of the case. And even in my uh, my experience in reform traditions, even uh, the, the major problems that we have are not with stoicism. It's far more on the side of you know, emotionalism and even emotional manipulation. And if our listeners want, we're doing um, this, we're doing a discussion of emotions because of the request. If you want us to discuss stoicism in, in more depth, we could do so. Yeah. So let's end by discussing what we might call a more mature Christian emotional life right? Because we want affections that are cultivated, not passions. This is the work of our soul united to Christ with our head, our heart, our hands. And so I think, right, here's something Edward says, Christians, that he says Christians will cultivate religious affections. The Holy Scriptures do everywhere place religion very much in the affections, such as fear, hope, love, desire, joy, sorrow, gratitude, compassion, and zeal, right? We should, and this is, and this is, I think, what you said that is, is probably so important to think about, that the world we live in of this unbridled emotions, always, ever, all advertisers, all storytellers, all of these things acting on us are, are making it difficult for us to cultivate these affections that very much are real and yeah and and do range very widely right these right when he has things of sorrow and joy right that these are all parts of an integrated human life and an integrated christian life right so even when we say right when sometimes people are worried when i say god can command you how to feel they're worried i'm saying God wants you to just be happy all the time, right? You're no. never going to be sad again. You can't be negative. You know, you right. can't, can't say, don't say you're sad. You better be excited about life. And, and again, again, look at the Psalms for this. Yeah. And I think we're going to go to a bonus right after this, where we talk about why, why to look to the Psalms as a, as a, as a starting place. But pastor Michael, I'm going to throw something out there about you, just a concept about preaching and then about in in worship, and you can tell me what you think of this. So these are both kind of uh, things pulled from Edwards, and I, as I did some reading on this, right, that Edwards would kind of say, we should be seeking to stir the affections of the listeners as high as we possibly can, provided they are only being raised by the truth proclaimed, and it's always in proportion of the greatness of the truth proclaimed, right? So when you're talking about a commercial for a a new blender and it's trying to bring me to this crazy emotional height, right? This is not in proportion. And obviously it's not doing it based on it cuts really well, right? It's, it's doing a, it's it with, a, yeah, it's a kind of lie, isn't it? it? It's, it's doing it with not with the truth proclaimed. Yeah. And I think you can, if you think about if, if you know anything about church history and you know about Edwards, right, you know that, right. He's famous for sinners in the hands of anger. God, people would cry when they would hear him preaching this. But how did he preach this? This is, It's famous for how he did it. He read a manuscript in a monotone way. Right. right. And supposedly he, to be more personal, he would lift up the manuscript. So he was kind of looking at the congregation yes. while he would read it. 
And so, right. And so he, I mean, if you read the language in that thing, it is, it is intense and it is, it, it is clearly him trying to, to affect, to have effect on the audience, but through the truth to what he's saying. And obviously he believed he was proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the greatest possible of truths. Right. And so, um, so then I will say this, then we balance that with, this is the important other balance. And this is wisdom as well from Edwards that a certain kind of external expression of something does not prove the presence or lack of presence of spirit born of certain spirit born affections. And, and actually you, we all already know this. Just think about how cultural certain kinds of displays of emotions are. Certain cultures are very outward. Certain cultures are very inward. And, and this is not an East or West or you right. Scots are stoic. Japanese people are stoic, right? There are, Amer- you know, this, this is just a cultural personal thing. And that a certain kind of external response doesn't prove the internal reality. And therefore, then if you are simply attempting to get a certain kind of external response, this is when I think we can say we are being unemotionally manipulative. Because we should know that, right, even sinners in the hands of an angry God or, or um, his preaching, because God's word is, is going to hit people in many different places, we would not expect them all to have the same kind of reaction. Some people will be convicted, maybe cry. Some people are going to be encouraged. Some people might not get it. Your children are going to pick up on one thing and it's not going to, they're going to say it's boring, <laughs> like uh, like this wonderful podcast we're doing. And But that the, the, maybe those are two things as I think about just specifically in worship from Edwards, since that's kind of who we're using as our guide through this subject. Um, what do you think about those two concepts for the Christian life in worship? I think that's really helpful and, and uh, really good, like a good, healthy balance, kind of a bellwether of, of where you're at. Um, I, I think in a sense, this is very much needed um, just maybe on more a practical level, uh, not, you know, we've kind of talked about the, the more theological reasons for this, but on a practical level, I think most people n- see, understand that many of us uh, in, because of the culture that we're in are pretty jaded. You see this and people talk all the time about how, I mean, most, uh, you know, uh, millennials and younger are pretty jaded with like the t- typical, like political speech. Why? Well, in part because we know it. I mean, we know it's fake. Like, yeah. We know it's BS. We know that like you are just saying whatever you can in the way that you can to get some kind of response from me. And uh, people are pretty, I think people are getting pretty tired of that. They're getting mm. pretty sick of that. And uh, I think that the, the best course of action anyway uh, is also just practically speaking going to be one of the best courses of action culturally uh, right now in that you know, just, you just, you speak the truth and, and God will do what he wishes with that. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be monotone. It doesn't mean that you have to be unemotional. I don't think that people uh, who hear me preach would accuse me of being unemotional in how I preach. You've heard me preach. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that I'm unemotional uh, in how I present things because I do feel it a lot of the time. Um, I, I feel very, uh, very much touched by uh, the scriptures. Um, but I also am very wary 
of letting that be what I preach, like my feeling. Mm. I don't want to preach my feeling. I want to preach what brought me to that point of feeling. I want to, you know, I want you to know the truth. I want you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, you know, revealed to us in the scripture in such a way that you will also, uh, you know, feel uh, the way that you are supposed to. And uh, so I just, I I think that uh, one of the, you know, healthy things we've maybe said before uh, is that within a, uh, biblical worship within, you know, the regulative principle. And if you're, you're following that and, and the way that you worship, I think generally speaking, what you'll find is that uh, you, you are confronted by the unvarnished truth. Here's the word of God exposited to you. Here's what it says. And there's no uh, room to hide from it, to hide from the sorrow of it. For instance, uh, a lot of the, you know, kinds of emotionalism that we see in the church is focused on what we would see as the good quote unquote emotions, right? You feel good, you know, feel good about yourself and, and like be happy and joyful and everything's good. And, you know, isn't it exciting to follow God? And what about if you are suffering, you know, what about if you, if you are, and God still commands you to be joyful, that is hard, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't, it doesn't make it easy uh, just because it says the word joy this is, I mean, this is difficult. We live in a, a fallen world where they're like, you will suffer incredibly. And yet, uh, even in those times, as you develop and as you grow into maturity of emotion, maturity of affection, you will be able, I think, even when you, you know, uh, face the most difficult of times uh, to be, because you've been working to cultivate joy over time, because you've been trying to follow what God has, has commanded of your emotional life, uh, you will be able to more easily, more freely still be joyful and still be able to praise God, even in the midst of, of significant sorrow, even with tears in your eyes, with clenched fist, uh, you know, with clenched teeth, with, you know, kind of, a, you know, head bowed down in like complete uh, submission and, and sorrow you will still be able to be joyful. That is still possible. And I just don't think that when we, when we typically think of emotion being such a cheap, it's like a cheap thrill, you know, it's just as cheap thrill you can get. And uh, I don't, if, if it's said that I'm against, you know, being emotional, I guess I am, if that's what you mean. Sure. But I, I want you to feel far more deeply, I think, than uh, you actually do. That's, that's more what I'm getting at. I want you to feel even deeper uh, and more strongly. Just I want you to feel uh, as you are commanded to. Hey, thanks yeah. for joining us on this day full of the feels here in the restless summer. You should feel good. You should feel this. what this restless podcast <laughs> is supposed to do for you is you're supposed to feel good. It's restless summer, baby. And if you're feeling good, leave us five stars. We look forward to you joining us If we have given you an emotional catharsis today, please go and give us a five-star review right now before it wears off.